0: all right so yeah it's good to hear your voice again thanks mike you too how have you been all this
1: time oh man it's been crazy i just had a second kid i have two daughters now they're eight years apart my old my younger one is like 10 months old so it's cool things are things are good it's pretty crazy though two kids is definitely like Two, you know, one plus one does not equal two in this situation. One point. One. No,
0: it means it equals, I think it equals
1: four. <laughs> yeah, at least. At least four. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's yeah. just all kinds of like, my daughter, younger one's in daycare right now. So like getting sick and bringing germs home. So we're all kind of getting rocked by the by the two kid magic.
0: Yeah, yeah. It won't end. It won't end for many years. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> But things are good. Otherwise, it's been use. like
1: at the house and just shedding, and you know, working, and you know, thinking about what the next big project's going to be. Basically, you know, keeping those juices flowing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you uh, you've kind of expanded. I mean, you are doing already uh, roughly this at least musically. A lot of what you, uh, I mean, it seems like you're still uh, mixing in uh, jazz and improv with with traditional Indian music. But you've it looks like your band is larger. Or is it just a rotating cast? Yeah, like
1: it's kind of a rotating thing for me. I think that it's always like um, something that's just in in evolution, you know? And even like some relationships have been going for a long time, like certain projects um, that I'm not like the band leader for, but I'm like a founding member or something like that, right? So like a big part of the development of the sound was my role and creative role and all that kind of stuff so those projects kind of continue to stay and they continue to evolve in their own trajectory and then other things kind of pop up and meeting new musicians great musicians in new york city um some that like come in from out of town on a regular basis from europe or wherever so it's just really a constant influx of creative and just really brilliant musicians and i think that that makes it exciting to just be open to possibilities And then, yeah, and then the past like seven years or so, I've been working with this really great collective called Brooklyn Raga Massive. And I kind of, am one of the founding members of that. And it's been a really great journey of like working with other musicians who are inspired by Indian classical music. Um, Even some of them are Mm -hmm. purely Indian classical musicians. And then some of them are um, like me, like just really playing all kinds of music and actually coming up, um, as you know, Mike, from high school marching band. Uh, cutting yeah. the teeth in the most genuine way possible in the concert band, public high school realm, and then uh, getting turned on to Indian classical music later. So that's kind of where I was coming from, and I think it was a cool way to like meet like-minded people who are into Indian yeah. classical music but are creative in a lot of ways. So, well,
0: I think what was fascinating to me about uh, about you is you know back then um, you know the 1992, 93, Oh, hell yeah. Um, even, you know, way back then, you, you were just beginning to, you, you, you had a lot uh, to say, and you were doing a lot of exploration into tabla music. Even I mean, you, you, I remember you talking a lot about it, being fascinated by uh, its history, its linguistic properties. You were the first person I think I ever knew who really got into a fascination with Sanskrit. Oh, and right. uh, and how that tied in musically. I, I mean, we talked about it last when we recorded the tabla library, you know, which was still what ten years, yeah, know longer than that. After that, fifteen years later than that. Yeah. But I mean, even through that time, you had been fascinated. You were you. I remember you telling me back in high school that you were determined to learn the tablas.
1: Wow, that's really cool. I actually don't have like no real memory of that. I mean, like I feel like I've got very deep into drum set as like a study that kind of I don't know I mean I would say I was probably like more of a victim of like colonized music learning right because like like basically there was no space in my vision to like incorporate Indian classical music and tabla until I started learning jazz more seriously and started to learn about my own creative intention and then i think after i explored that and i got a degree in western classical music where i learned you know vibraphone and timpani and all these other instruments and then i did a 180 and i didn't want to do written music anymore i wanted to go into jazz music and play free improv and and you know the classic american songbook of like jazz standards which is really like about blues and and about improvising and finding your voice right so like i wanted to get back to that which I actually feel like I was more very turned on by when we were in high school you know like just the creative energy and really like letting loose and so I I don't remember tabla being a big thing for me but I do remember like later on I was hearing from a lot of people like that they heard tabla in what I would play on drum set and there was like a natural connection that people were making and I was honestly like I'm always a little surprised I'm like I'm like, wow, how do you hear that? Like, where is that coming from? And then I think as I started to, my own curiosity started to build, I was like, well, I should study this. Like I, and I was also kind of intimidated. I mean, it's like a huge yeah. instrument to undertake. And so I was a little bit nervous to try and do that because like, I was like, you know, I got my degree in music. So I know what it takes to like work really, really hard to spend hours a day in the practice room to get really, really good at something. And then I had heard that Indian classical music was, like, just absurd at that level. Like, it's like people are, like, 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day. I was like, that's just insane, you know? Like, I I don't can't imagine. You know,
0: though, in a way, though, it's it's that over... Practice where you're seeking what is already inside. Mm. Let me I mean, I wish I could send you the image of my mind back in back in high school. I mean, we played in our in our little band in my garage. And then yeah. I mean, just straight up in concert and jazz band admission. Yeah. Um, at our high school, you you the way you held the sticks, the way you played, you had a casual posture and a fluidity that i see identically in your posture and playing style now when you play the tablas or as especially what's amazing to see is when you're mixing it with kit yeah. so you're sitting at your drum kit with the tabla, one hand's playing tablas and the others working the, right. the hi-hats or yeah and, and it it it, yeah. it is still the same you in that sense there is still that natural fluidity. you were the best drummer i'd ever seen in high school and i still would would argue that um I had never seen anybody your equal in that regard, where you just, you were the instruments. And uh, you had this ease of being able to pick up other instruments without any effort. I mean, effort, I'm not trying to downplay uh, the work you put in, but rather you didn't seem to deny your connection to the, the instrument and the sound. You just let it happen and it seemed to flow through you with without without uh resistance Hmm. i guess that's the word i'm looking for you had no resistance to the music it was just coming through you
1: wow that's awesome yeah thanks man i appreciate that and the funny thing is we played some pretty hardcore metal music together right like that was like like that was like some like that and we weren't like angry per se in our vibe like we were really fun and we and we really were like having a ball i would say we're really positive but like there was this total like no resistance to like the emotional wave you know and the power of like the sound yeah. and stuff so that was like really i think i think you you definitely appreciate that you know
0: yeah i mean for me music was always this amorphous uh internal thing it was never which is why i was always actually quite terrible at 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 um at proper music training because for me from the beginning it was all improv Mm-hmm. And it was all emotion, and and different genres of music were just different shades. It was like poetry. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, if you're reading poetry, yeah, I mean, I guess you can get into it and, and uh, you know, essentially dissect the, the, the genre of poetry you're reading. But in the end, you know, it's all poetry and is meant to convey different aspects of the human condition and the soul. Yeah. And music was the same to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, if anything, poetry was just music of, of, of the written word, but it was right. still music. Right. I hear um, that for sure. And, and I think, yeah, so in, in seeing, you know, that's why I, I always thoroughly enjoyed being with, uh, with you in concert band you, um, and, and in a band. You, you just had this natural ability to just dump it and work with what was happening musically yeah. and find ways to improve on it, like to, to lift it up. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's, um, that's what's unique about you. And I think what, what sets you apart as a tabla player is you have the ability to pull that deep, deep ancient style out without a filter, without pretense and let it seamlessly mesh with um, the music that's happening in the moment. Hmm. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel fake or colonized in that sense. Uh, It doesn't feel like you, you were an outsider. I mean, even, you know, as a, you know, as an Indian kid coming up in the United States and then, kind of like retro, you know, I guess retrospectively, like reaching back, um, yeah. it's still, it was always you, yeah, you know. And I think that was my my feeling uh, even back then. But uh, uh, obviously, yeah. you have proved it after decades of uh, a profound career. <laughs> That's uh, as, cool, a, as a serious. I mean, I, I you know you can you can see the weight uh, that you you swing your bat with um, mm-hmm. it musically, and and the respect you get from it. I think it's pretty profound. And you show you know, and yet you show profound deference to to classical masters and, and traditional music. You don't I don't know, you, you you're you you walk lightly, um, and yet you you uh you hit powerfully and without reservation. And I think that as a musician, uh not me as a musician, but I think any musician that can do that without fear is is somebody that that really truly is able to tap into um Something bigger, something deeper.
1: Wow! Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that, man. That's really nice of you to say, brother.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think it shows um, because it, it's funny. I mean, with our Tableau library, w- I mean, when we originally recorded, when I when I, I wanted to capture just the that's the sounds, the textures as deeply as I could, mm-hmm. and um, because as an instrument, as a percussion instrument, it's it's probably the most lyrical. I mean, the only other instrument that could come close in a certain sense is the snare drum, but that's nothing because it's monotonal. I mean, the tablas are like, they're melodic instruments as much as they are Yeah, rhythmic. I mean, I think
1: I think the drum set is there in a way. It's more about like, um, a lot of it is like uh, learning the language of it because snare drum can really be like that too, yeah. you know? Congas can be like that. The yeah. Bata, the traditional bata drums of Cuba can be like that. But it's really almost like... Um, you know, you have to kind of, yeah. like, I've started to make those connections myself, just being around musicians who, who see it that way, who are so comfortable yeah. with the drum that it becomes an extension of a language, um, like poetry, like you're yeah. saying, you know, so it's really, tabla is one of those things I think that it's very amazing how the linguistics of it, like the poetry of it, and like the way that the science is built on how do you play the instrument, it is so much about um thinking of of melodic and beautiful and refined ways of articulating something you know like there's an aesthetic I guess that's there that that really yeah. um can win the day you know that's what makes something last for generations is like was it tasteful was it really like um did it really like accentuate something and elevate something in, a, in an intellectual way or in a you know um, colorful way or in a new way, you know? So it has to, it's like, nothing yeah. is really taken lightly with the tabla, right? If it's like, if it's something that's kind of casually put out there, sometimes it doesn't get mm-hmm. the propers, you know? While while sometimes with drum set, it's like the slickest, easiest thing will be like the thing that everybody loves, right? Like drum set is this almost like a folk drum um, of America, right? Where like kids learn to yeah. play rock beats, kids learn to like, you know play James Brown stuff and that's just the language of that drum and tabla it's yeah. like uh, the same kind of thing for kids in india i think a lot of a lot of people in india in kolkata especially like they learn to play tabla it's part of their schooling of music you know so um the language of the the language of the people and the culture also is like really connected with the language of the music so i think that all makes it a super melodic instrument
0: yeah, I think what's 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 fascinating about tabla is too um, is it it maybe because it's older, maybe because um, it's got the uh, you know it's got connections to sort of ancient Vedic traditions. Maybe um, the way that the, the the musical language associated to it also connects to deeper uh, esoteric or metaphysical languages or ideas. I think that's what's fascinating about it is that the sounds of the tabla. Are very vocal in a sense, very um, like a type of, of of speech in a sense, and it. Some of the sounds, especially the way the buy and bends kind of work, the way they they, you know, everybody thinks of the term water drop, but that's not it. There's something about it that scratches sort of deep in the brain at um, at at aesthetics and feelings um, that don't have words in uh, the human language that you know you can't just say this is that you know like we everything is in our language is metaphoric mm-hmm. but musically a lot of classical indian sounds uh not even just the playing style but the sounds of the instrument themselves they seem to draw on something deeper
1: yeah no i think you're 100 uh-huh. right i mean even as even as basic As this fact that, like the sitar and the sarod and the sarangi, right, which is a stringed uh, bowed instrument, all of those instruments um, have sympathetic strings, right? Actually, a lot of other Indian classical instruments have sympathetic strings. And, you know, the way sympathetic strings work is that they are never struck but then when, when they're in tune properly and the main string is played in a, in that tuning, those strings resonate sympathetically. And so that itself is like um, just a very profound uh, sort of way of using the physical space for a musical purpose. You know, it like, it's, it's yeah. feeding off of vibration. And the vibration is causing other strings to vibrate, right? And you will eventually vibrate as a result of that, right? It's it's very yes. like um, it is very much built into the instruments, and it's the tanpura, the droning tanpura sound like that. The way that even the basics of like just intonation and um, you know the well tempered clavier system, right? So the just intonation is basically puts the tonic and the fifth at a uh, like pillars. And then the overtone series is sort of preserved as a natural harmonic overtone series that would occur off of one fundamental pitch. But the well-tempered mm-hmm. system essentially takes that entire overtone series and tries to condense it down to one octave and breaks all those intervals up into equal space. And so that, that is how a piano was built, right? And the piano, that's why the piano is actually inherently a little bit out of tune and the reason why it's out of mm-hmm. tune is so that it can remain in tune as it travels from different fundamental pitches to different fundamental pitches. While in Indian classical music, the fundamental pitch doesn't change, and so the power Damn. and the depth of it—it it has to do with that overtone frequencies, the overtone series that that naturally manifests from the fundamental. That is basically worked in a very deep way, and uh, that, and and that causes yeah. a whole other effect.
0: Yeah. I have a theory about that. If if I think of uh, classical Indian music and even a lot of uh, Asian music more broadly in general, mm-hmm. the primary melody in any given piece is usually the dominant thread uh, to the exclusion even of like, um, there's usually not a deep, low bass counter melody going on um, or a lot of high flourish. It, it, everything weaves around the central story Whereas in a lot of Western music, everything's stacked up, mm-hmm. um, so that there, you know, think of like the, you know, in a in a symphonic orchestra, you have you know the, the the double basses and the cellos and the and the low brass all kind of thundering down below, carrying rather strong lines, and then you got uh, you know have your there's often not even really a lead melody going on. There's more mm-hmm. of a general movement, and so you have all these instruments across multiple octaves that have to be in tune at the same time not just supporting each other but i guess producing more of a wall of sound as opposed to sort of a freight train of sound if you will <laughs> it's it's more of a, a I mean, vertically it's, stacked, it's really it's uh, really
1: interesting way to look at it because i think you're right i think there is like a sense in western classical music to be like to use more counterpoint and to think of the 12 pitches as almost a uh, uh i don't know how to describe it but almost more like the they're equal, like the, de- the 12 pitches are all equal and you can move from yeah. one center to another center. One instrument can be playing in another tonal center. You can get really abstract and atonal. Um, all that is like fair game with Western classical music in its evolution, you know? Um, and in a way yeah. like the 12 tone, well-tempered, equal-tempered system um, allows for that, right? In, in some degrees, right? So then you have, like, yeah. and also I think that Indian classical music is different than like um, like Balinese gamelan, for example, right? So for like gamelan yeah. music, there is actually quite a bit of counterpoint going on with like the high metallic sounds and the low gongs. That's
0: true, that's um, true.
1: But I think, yeah. but Indian classical music, I think does have a a side of it that is really based in just trance trans and kind of meditation, right? And And I guess I would even be saying more North Indian classical because it's just it seems to me like they take the time and the tempo so slow that it becomes like Mm -hmm. a meditation. um, And that's sort of the point to very slow bends um, through the melody and working like the distance from one pitch to another pitch and how that that is an infinite amount of space that you can bend in. Um the two Do anchoring th- pictures. Do,
0: th- mm-hmm. Do you think that, that that is a is a result more of uh influence of I guess uh Buddhism or even older uh religious idea ideas? Uh, not uh, alright, let me let me strip away the word religious. Uh huh. Uh spiritual or deeply um uh metaphysical explorations. mean uh, because that that is that's one unique aspect of um of Eastern religion in general, Eastern um, metaphysical thought was to the willingness and and the technology to delve deeply into consciousness mm-hmm. and its deeper layers or higher layers, depending on how you want to, to 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 talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a, as a thing you can actually get a grip on, as a thing you can actually explore and travel through, as opposed to this hands-off, only after you die kind of place that. That isn't really a thing mm-hmm. in, in the Western or wasn't really a thing until this perhaps century in the Western world.
1: I mean, I think like I think Indian classical music has this like spiritual um, side to it that's almost like incidental to the music. So so like mm-hmm. the, the musicians who play Indian classical music, like the greatest musicians, some have been Hindu, some have been Muslim. Um, some have been, you know, not subscribing to religions. And I think like it is really about um, like some great maestros have really said like Pandit Nikhil Banerjee, who's a great sitar maestro said that like the whole purpose is just to lift up the consciousness of the audience, to lift the audience up, right? To elevate mm-hmm. the the mind of the audience. And so like, That is like, it does sound a little bit like it's in the mind, but there is a spiritual thing there. And when you listen to someone like Nico Banerjee play, like, and you even hear about him as a person, you know, he shied away from the limelight. He never wanted to be considered a guru. He never like wanted to be put up on a pedestal. There's videos of him performing where it looks like he's literally hiding behind the guitar. I mean, the sitar. And he's like playing some of the most stunning music. I mean, like people consider him like the John Coltrane of Indian classical music, you know, like he just was Mm. like, like a, like a super being that was here doing stuff that no one thought was possible on the instrument, you know? And, and even with John Coltrane, like, I mean, he was obviously so um, Christian, but like I feel a spirituality with Coltrane's music, you know, and and that kind of thing is so connected to the same spirituality I get from Indian classical music. Um, So I I do think that it is like like tapping into an energy. I think that's sort of maybe more what's at the core there. It's like, that's why kind of like late period Coltrane can be so out and so um, abstract and atonal and for some people very hard to listen to. And then there's also this other side of Indian classical music where it can be played at like this fast Jala tempo, which is like so fast that it's actually very difficult to un- listen to if you were just to listen to it, right? Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like cacophony um, because it's like yeah. the intonation is going out. Can, are these musicians actually able to play together right now? Like, are, you know, is it, what's the heck's going on? Like, you know, that kind of feeling is there. And it's also shared, I think, in the way people sometimes experience late, late Coltrane. And to me, that's a very profound connection. That That is almost like the brink of a spiritual... Um, awakening of some kind like you've been taken to the brink of what you thought energy could be capable of um, so yeah, yeah it's
0: it's almost like a, a state of ecstasy that it gets into at, at a point I think so I think uh, that is I mean, kind of it, a
1: bridge there yeah
0: yeah it gets into that sort of whirling dervish kind of uh, where you're almost in a beyond trance state it's almost like a fugue state but not uh, not in a dark sense more mm-hmm. of a uh, you're just sort of in the flow and it's rushing so fast. There's no more control at that point.
1: Right, right. But yet there is like an incredible amount of control that, that has gone into sustaining that and creating that. Yeah. And so like it's like, um, like it's almost impossible. It's like what you're seeing is impossible and that makes yeah. – like, that elevates you a little bit, right? It, it's like suddenly – Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: I would digress uh, when I say not in control not under conscious control mm-hmm. not or not under um not under the control of the will but rather under control of uh, uh I guess something deeper. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you're so. just right you're surfing the wave.
1: Right, right. I hear that man, definitely. I hear
0: that. Yeah, I think I, I guess that that's the the fascinating thing about music is as you break down the barriers between cultures and cuz a lot of I I mean, growing up in, you know, in music education and and just being a fascinated spectator of music, there was always this supposition that musical styles from different cultures were separately evolved things, almost like they by chance were music uh, all together, but none of them were related. They were all somehow independently originated and didn't really speak to the same genesis. In the same way that you were, you know, you mentioned Coltrane being Christian— um, but that in the end it's calling to the same energy or pulling through the same energy. Yeah. I think that's really it, is that music is so fundamental to life, uh, to being, and it t- it takes on these different cultural aspects. Uh, when I mentioned that perhaps Buddhism had an effect, it's not so much that it was Buddhist religion or thinking that it affected the music, but rather uh, uh, the the way that... The, um, seeking um like higher mental states seeking physical experiences of the spirit was normalized mm-hmm. and that wove into the musical explorations as well whereas mm-hmm. in the west it was except when you're talking about the templars and like um you know gregorian chant and 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 liturgical music of that of that type where they were really delving into a psychoacoustics Right, right. For the most part other than that um it was really sort of this abs- I don't know it was it was it was not really it was not something that was seen as a window to the soul in quite the same way. Mm. Yeah. I mean if, I think it's it, it, it it so. a window me, to the energy.
1: It reminds me of something I heard in music theory or music history or something which was I think there was was it like St. Thomas Aquinas or somebody introduced this idea of like the sacred and profane. And basically, Mm -hmm. like, the profane sort of related to, like, the folk music or any music that was not temple or prayer-based music. And, you know, sacred music always had a quality to it that was supposed to be kept into the church. And even, like, someone like Ray Charles is an example of, like, the profane, right? It's like he took what was essentially church music and made it music about, like the blues and sex right and like just like all that kind of human stuff that really people ended up completely connecting with and so that like i don't know to me to me it's very interesting how religion and spirituality in the west kind of has to has always had to carry on like a kind of um, burden of some kind that 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 ultimately even the music can kind of suffer possibly right it's like then you have something like in Indian classical music where like the culture itself around it can almost like in make the music fall up short. Like the ideas of like um, just the patriarchy involved in the guru system, you know, like those kinds of things can really hold back the music, right? Even today you have people who use the idea of a guru just for their own personal gain and people who come Mm -hmm. to the music and they don't know the culture they can get, you know, taken advantage of and they can ultimately, like, get convinced that this music is about something else. This music is about touching someone's feet or, you know, making sure you bend over backwards to, like, do everything that they could possibly ever ask for. Pick them up from the airport, you know, change your whole life around them or something. Like, you know, and a lot of teachers and students don't have that relationship, but I do know that there's teachers who totally take advantage of that. And so I just think it's, like, every cultural backdrop behind like a really beautiful and great music can om- almost is like a disservice to the music possibly like like we were saying before like like i can't remember exactly how you said it but it, it was like you know there's like a certain generation that's no longer alive right like there are these legends that are revered right that are like the greats and in a way like those are the people who actually can can be revered because they're no longer kind of able to do all the, you know, flawed human stuff. Like, you know, yeah, like make people not understand how beautiful the music is because they're just not perfect people. Right. And like, yeah. like, you know, it happens all the time. There's good people who do bad things, but like when that person's a teacher and the culture says this teacher is not just a teacher, but your spiritual guide, like that's, that's a lot to put on a situation where someone really is just trying to maybe learn some music, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's yeah. like, it can be a disservice ultimately, I think sometimes to the music, the, the cultural context that it comes from.
0: It's like gatekeeping. It It's this, and I think it comes from a very normal human place because I think it, you'll see it in every, every area of human endeavor. Yeah. It's, it's this idea if, if one, when a person finds a way through to something greater, something deeper or um, significant, they imagine that the way they found it is the only way it can be found and then when people are drawn to them by what they've discovered those people wanting to learn think they have to emulate the the, the so, you know supposed master and follow right. those footsteps or or worship that person like they were special yeah all they did was reach their hand through the veil and pull back something great but it it came through them it wasn't them in that sense they weren't the only way through to that um and i think in great music music is is the heritage of all humans yeah and uh and every human has the capacity for music it's obviously you know uh, when i think of somebody who is in, innately wired for music as as a uh, just just on a on a profoundly you know fundamental level i mean somebody like you comes to mind Without a doubt, because music was just um it just always seemed to be part of you you uh you had a way of looking at music and still do uh and 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 expressing it that's when I say effortless, it's not that you uh you don't put profound effort into practice and developing your skill, but rather you don't resist the music that comes through you it seemed when watch in watching you play. It's there's an allowing. There's a, a fluidity and a non. Uh, you're. It's almost like your hands follow the sticks rather than the sticks being uh, just merely extensions of the hand. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah
1: totally. Like that. yeah, totally. I like
0: that. It's like you're following the music that's that's already there. Yeah. Do but that. you're not. But it's following it simultaneously. I'm
1: gonna write that down. If I use it for an album cover, I'm, I'm not gonna give you any credit. Okay.
0: <laughs> Please don't. Please but don't. of course, there will be a I, video I, I, video
1: podcast which will have the evidence.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, I think that's true. It's like you're you're, you're sort of a, um, you sort of embody um, uh, presence in the moment in in music without it being this performative thing. Yeah. That's I guess that's what I'm getting at. You were never a performative drummer. You never, uh, I mean, you, you can do tricks. You, you always could, but rather you would play even, you know, in, in our garage band or everything. You always put everything into whatever you were playing. You mm-hmm. never phoned it in. Yeah. Um, it was always there. Uh, it was always absolutely you. And um, with a lot of musicians, they're worried about how they look how cool they look, what, you know, is it, it's, it, I don't know. It's this attempting to, to um, assert music as opposed to being a conduit of it.
1: Yeah. Word. Yeah. I appreciate and that. And I don't
0: want to, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish. Yeah. I'm not trying to diminish the creative process of, of crafting music and intentionally creating music, but rather when it, when it's time to let it flow out, that's the time to, to peel away the personality and let the music through. Yeah. You know, I think you just innately have that. Um thanks. Bro. Nice. In 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 a sense when we recorded the tablas I'm going to jump back to actual I guess sure, more yeah, topical yeah. stuff. Um you know it was it was fascinating to just watch you play because you um I mean obviously you had the patience to sample the drum note by note uh, the way we do and you you were able to maintain the focus necessary to to do that in such an exacting way. Um and you treated your instruments both re- with respect and didn't treat them just as instruments they um i don't know you 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 respected them almost like a, a separate entity mm. and the and out of necessity to get the best sound out of them uh, yeah. and then when you got into the, fr- the, the 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 improvised um rhythmic performances which ended up we you know we cut them into little phrases and loops yeah it was as if you were following musical threads that were just constantly flowing and you were catching one and then the next um and it, it, yeah, it was just this, it it didn't just sound like you're just holding out a beat. It was just following this musical river. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you can hear it in the, in the, in the product as it is now, you can sort of look for different tempos and, and what, not define um, particular grooves. But in the, in the moment you recorded it, it was these run on, like hour long performances that were just seamless. They just never ended. <laughs> and uh it was really cool to be there to get to to be in the room for that to happen because um I mean it was just normally when you hear music um tablas most particularly it's it's never in the context where you just get to be immersed in it and just really hear every every nuance and nook and cranny in the sound and have it be just sort of surrounding you and that that was a really cool experience right on that's cool and you and you live that experience that's what you do
1: yeah well I appreciate you guys capturing it I remember spent we spent like two days doing it
0: um yeah it was two days
1: yeah no it was great I remember your cat was like into it you wanted to hang out I was like little kitty I can't hang out with you
0: yeah no it was uh, maybe, really really maybe fun. you I, mean,
1: <laughs> I thought I thought that it was really great just like the level of like just the meta kind of quality of it all you know with the different with the different volumes for each stroke um you know all yeah. that stuff to me is really next level you know and i think that's really a cool thing to try and just help people appreciate like it it is like a flow and to have like a analogy like a metaphor like a river that's like such yeah. a tabla type of thing you know like there's even certain phrases in tabla called rela's which are like rushing water and so I think that's like it's it is really supposed to kind of flow like that at times. And so I really, yeah, I really like that you got that.
0: Can you tell uh, tell me a, a little bit about how the? So each tabla stroke has a word associated to it, right? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, basically, they, it's like you, it is tell, very much a like about that. that. Yeah, it is very much like a language, right? So every single stroke has a spoken syllable, right? And that yeah. syllable can be right? Which is just written in English should be written T A, but written in the Hindi or Devanagari script. Devanagari is like the it's the script that's been used to notate Nepalese, Hindi, Sanskrit, all kinds of languages that kind of come from uh, the northern part of India. Devanagari is like the main script that's used. So if you were to use the script character for Tha. It would just be one character, right? And so then when you start to string together multiple characters, you can do right, and so then that also becomes a bowl, right? That becomes a um, it's the same word, like one syllable is called a bowl, b o l, and a string of syllables is also called a bowl, but then the a bowl kind of has to be a functional word, right? So it's almost like um, you can have the letter T, but only if you have the letters T-H-E does it actually function as the word the, right? So then you can say the in mm-hmm. different contexts. And if you practice saying a sequence of words like um, Peter Piper picked a peck of peppers, right? You you can say that really, really quickly, right? And cleanly, Um through practice, that that is essentially what is happening with tabla, right? You're you're learning a sequence of syllables that have you know that kind of go together as words would go together. So the the word of titekata um, right? That's one two three four five six seven eight nine. That's nine syllables. But I practice going titekata so much and in so many different ways that it has kind of infinite number of possibilities for that word and and how i can use it in the context how fast i i say it um whether i cut it up like so for example one two three four five six seven eight nine i could break up that same word to go one two three four five six seven eight nine it'd be or i could go one two three four five six seven eight nine which would be or which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, six, seven, eight, nine, right? So all of those are using the same bowl, they're using the same word, which is which is made up of, of nine syllables. Um, if that helps kind of answer your question, how, how it's all kind of connected. There. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. How is uh, tabla music used poetically? I mean, you, I remember you telling me before how a lot of... Uh, tabla is almost used uh, as where the tabla player is essentially speaking to the drum mm-hmm. um, almost in a sense uh, where if you knew what he was, uh, another tabla player might actually understand the meaning of it.
1: Right. Well,
0: so is, I, I think, I think, the,
1: I think using the word like meaning can be a little deceptive. And I think that even in poetry, like the idea of meaning um, can be a little deceptive because it's not always clear what words mean when you're looking at, like, poetic language, right? It's it's so subjective. Like, even just the word tree, if you use the word tree in a very, like, mundane way, it just means the thing that's growing outside. But if you use, like, the word tree in a poetic way, it can mean an infinite number of things, right, to different people, yeah. depending on how they, they're they coming to it. So, like, tabla is very much like that, right? But it's sort of a design it's like making designs with these um words, right? So to say This is like a, a little bit of a poetry because I'm I'm taking the word and I'm kind of breaking it up and adding space and adding um like gaps you know to to create more and more interesting designs that are all kind of connected from this root word so so that's one way where it's kind of poetic where you can take a a word and you can show artistically all these sort of variations and and interesting beautiful ways to reinterpret the design and then there's another side of it which is like um kind of almost more like like flowing in hip-hop where like you learn a a, a specific composition, for example, um te dāte te dā dāte te dha getu nākina tete te da te dā dāte te nākina, right? And that that phrase, you just essentially go and and repeat that phrase over and over and over again, but with the second half of it kind of always rhyming. So it's like dāte te dāte te dā dāte te dha getu nākina te te dha getu nākina te te dha getu That te te nākina is always at the end of every like sentence or paragraph. And so it becomes something where in the first part of that, you're improvising and you're using the basic bowls that are in the composition to think of new ideas and think of new designs. So for example, if we're saying da te te da te te dada, that's the first part and te te is the second part. Like just da te te da te te dada, you can do a lot of cool stuff. Like da da That's a that's a variation, right? And so you would drop that in and say that, and you would end it with right? Whatever you need to do to make it land in a very beautiful, symmetrical, and balanced and melodic way. So so to do that in a, in an aesthetically nice way is very very difficult, and it's very challenging, and you have to practice those those. Um, Sort of subjects, those like uh, themes, I, I should see. say, the the thematic material for one composition, like you have to practice it and practice being able to take it at double time and and conceive of a lot of variations and actually like think of new variations, right? Think of variations that people have not heard before, which is a reflection of your own creativity. That's sort of the goal. And, um, you know, certain teachers have been super important for that, you know, like even um, one of my teachers that I've had, Pandit Nindo Chatterjee, he would always say, you know, I'll show you a few compositions, but really, like, you have to show me some compositions next time, right? So he was always much more interested in hearing how his students would really think of ideas. And so that's really a great way to, to see this, right? Because it's really about infusing the ideas with your own personality and how do you make them sound like you? Um, and I think that is like a big part of tabla, right? Because I mean, the compositions and the repertoire is massive. It's just huge. There's thousands of compositions, but really all you need is is a few compositions and with space and with timing and with tone and with just a, a sort of ability to work with the basics, you can make a very, very fruitful you know, musical sound. You can have, like, so many variations. You can think of so many beautiful ideas with just some basic building blocks. And so I think that is, that's also a big part of any instrument. It's like once you can learn the basics, it actually frees you up to do so many creative things. And so I think even in the poetry of the drum, like, you don't need to know 100 different phrases and 100 different um, bowls, you know. If you just know five or six, even you can have a lot of interesting dialogue.
0: That's very cool. How does um time uh timing or time signature is a lot more fluid um with I mean with classical Indian music in general but I think it's most pronounced with tablas because they're um I mean they're the ones that get to be the most um intricate I guess you could say. There's not I mean, you don't drone with the tablas you speak with them in, in a much more
1: uh um you know, I mean I would say the, way. the timekeeping in, in Indian classical music, I think you're right that it doesn't feel as um, like I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's like resetting all the time as much as it feels like it's constantly flowing. Um, like there's a there's a steady momentum, and I think that personally, I think a big reason for that is the cyclical nature of the t- of the time signature, right? So it's not it's not a linear time signature in the sense of where after um, four bars, uh, four beats per bar. Then you're back at the beginning of the of the chart, and you go back. You hit the repeat sign, and you go back to the beginning, or something like that. You know, it's like it's actually literally like a like a clock face, right? So when you travel around the clock at at 11:59, you know, one minute later it doesn't go all the way back around and reset it essentially just continues to go but you've got you're going through another cycle now right so it's it is a mm-hmm. it is a constantly in motion kind of thing and that's why also in tabla a lot of times when the tabla player is just holding down the time for like a sitar player or something or a bansuri player like the 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 aesthetic approach a tabla player should have a lot of times is like they're putting down like the the smoothest road (laughs) that that a sitar Mm -hmm. player could ever want to walk on to to play their instrument you know what i mean like to drive their music down the road they need the smoothest possible you know asphalt and so like you know i think that that's kind of the goal it's like you have to create a a flow that feels like they can just like surf on top of it very very easily and then it's continuous and it's it doesn't feel like it's being interrupted and I think that's, that that's makes sort a of the sense. goal. Yeah.
0: It, it, it seemed like in, um, in a lot of contemporary music, at least, uh, more tradition. I mean, I want to say traditional standard, I guess, standard mainstream, uh, music yeah. time is just this, um, linear measure, but it's really just, uh, everything, you know, that you never really have tempo deviation. You might go double time. Maybe you, you know, once in a great while, you might get a slow speed up or, or slow down, um, and in classical music, um, Western classical music, they'll they'll do that quite a bit more. But even still, um, nothing on the level of uh, Indian classical music where it's more like time is just as much of a dynamic dimension to express emotion as dynamic or mel- a melody is. It's like uh, it can you know it can speed up into just intense kind of uh, pandemonium, and then some suddenly slow right back down again to just a, 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 you know, a a dirge almost. Right, right. And it, if you, if, at least from my perspective, thinking and a lot of, um, well, nature and a lot of other sorts of experience work that way, that time um, compresses and and expands based on the intensity of the moment, and the emotional uh gravity of it um and i think that seems to show through in tabla more where it is this this ride this roller coaster uh and it's not just getting louder and softer or higher and lower it's also getting it's it's elastic um in yeah. this really profound way yeah i think you're uh, right i
1: think like you're kind of picking up on something that i think like i refer to it as like the density right or like kind of like the gravity of what's going on like you know, you can have um, something that's like very, very spacious, right? That's not a lot of density in between the strokes and it can sound so heavy, you know? And then at other times, Mm -hmm. it's like the density of strokes and the amount of strokes that are being put into the same amount of time is so much higher, right? Instead of thinking of like eighth notes and 16th notes, it's like 64th notes and like 138th notes you know it's like it's like really yeah um just it's if you try to notate it in the western classical sense like it's just like it's insane like the number of notes you have to write in one bar so like that to i think that it inherently kind of it becomes about something else right it's like it's about the the rushing of the of the notes in a way like the the not the rushing in the sense of like speeding up but like the the effect of like water kind of like coming you know and, and rain falling yeah. you know those kinds of it is very poetic like I think it is very hard to describe like what is exactly going on there but I do think that you're right to hear like it I think as a reflection of like our own consciousness right like we feel that sense of lift at different times in the day, right? Due to different things that are happening around us. And at other times it just releases and you're just done, you know? And it's like, now you're able to actually, there's a moment of calmness, you know, where the day is clear all of a sudden and you're not hearing a bunch of buses and sirens, you know, or something like that, or birds. Um, I just, I think you're, you're right. I think it, it's Indian classical music. A lot of times I think is trying to capture very natural and nature, you know, based, things, like even the whole idea of like a time of day with North Indian classical music, how if you listen to morning ragas in the morning, rainy season ragas when it's raining, you know, those those um, deliberate intentional sort of contexts for the music, I think do really accentuate how it connects with our nature. So I think the music is totally trying to do that. I think you're right.
0: What I think it's beautiful about this time we're in now is I mean, technology has allowed it, and but more importantly, it's coming through the people that are who are um, like you, who are, com- are fusing these disparate well, what seemed to be at one point disparate styles of music and theories and philosophies of music into um, clearly um, harmonious uh, new ways of expressing it. You know, there's no doubt; it's not just like. I mean, the early experiments, I think, in the nine, 80s, 90s, I mean, earlier than that, even back, you know, into sort of the post-war era um, in the West where Eastern music was starting to infuse, that that often felt like it was almost like playing um, like a loop on, you know, it was sort of injecting something into it, but it was never really a true fusion, mm-hmm. and... um in a way that didn't say this, this is a fusion of even. It, it, it's now it becomes possible simply to let styles be these multi-influenced um, chimeras.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, totally. That
0: don't, that, yeah, they don't seem, you know, it's, it's, there's no asking for forgiveness or permission or even expecting the listener to say, oh, that's this and that. It's more like the listener just hears it and just feels it and that's it. You know, yeah. it, it, in and of itself, its own essence is, is a fusion of them, of these forms, but it's not just a byproduct of them. It becomes its own new, better thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, better think. is maybe not the right word, but new. Um, well, it's, yeah, right. it's com- I would say com- it's much com- more like, it. like relevant, you know, like this. It's reflective yeah. of
1: where things are at today.
0: Where can people find your music and your projects? So a lot of my music's
1: down. up on Bandcamp. Um, there is quite a bit of stuff on, on Spotify and those platforms, but everything is available on on Bandcamp, which is cool. I've been sort of um, limiting what I distribute on social media platforms at times. Um, but, you know, just in an effort to figure out what the hell's going on with distributing music at an independent level. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bandcamp is great, and I definitely have several releases up there. Um very proud of, like, everything I work on. I think, as you know, I, like, You know, I try and keep it very much about music that I love. And so a lot of my collaborations have been evolving. I've been working with some really interesting musicians, one particularly this theremin player from Vienna named Pamela Stickney. And she's been really, really interesting. And um, theremin's been such a cool instrument to collab with. So, you know, we're going to be definitely doing some things in the Brooklyn area. You can go to my website, samirgupta.com. I try and keep that linked up with all my recent stuff. But, you know... With the family growing and and a family of four now, I just sometimes I think the internet is just a distraction entirely. So, I uh, I would say just try and follow me on like some of the social media like Instagram and and that kind of thing. Usually um, find me on anything with Thubla Jazz. So like Instagram slash Thubla Jazz, Twitter slash Thubla Jazz. Um, but yeah, definitely find me on the on the socials.
0: Excellent. Excellent, sir. Well, I will let you go and continue to make music. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time.
1: Yeah, man. My pleasure. Good luck with everything. Thanks, Sound Iron. Looking forward to it.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Samir. All right. uh, We'll talk to you later, man. Thanks so much.
1: Yes. Talk soon.